End-of-life planning is not just about medical directives and powers of attorney, financial planning. Those things are super important, but also things like how do you want to be celebrated? How do you want to be feted? Is it solemn with chamber music? Do you want a big party in the style that you would have had if you were having friends over? Those things should get equal weight. Join me at a lovely conversation with Jane Duncan Rogers. Her business is called Before I Go Solutions. And I think you'll like her story. I think you'll get something out of it. You can even take a free quiz to see where you are on the spectrum of ready to go, planned, organized, or not. Stay tuned. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. My guest today is Jane Duncan Rogers, and she has a message for us. We're all going to die. And so we better start planning for that inevitability while we're young and healthy so that we can be less of a burden to those we leave behind and feel good about how we are approaching those last few minutes. Welcome, Jane. Thanks for being with us. Wonderful. Good to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. So it's it's not an unusual um, career path planning mm-hmm. for the future, but yours is a little bit, I love the name of it, Before I Go Solutions, is the name of your business. <laughs> Tell the listeners what how you how you ended up here. Okay. So my, my, my background has been 25, 30 years in the counseling, coaching, training world as a, as a solo professional, if you like. And my husband uh, was diagnosed with stomach cancer in 2010 and a year later he had died. Now, when this, is, when this happens, you know, when your life is threatened or somebody close to you whose life is threatened, your life changes in that moment. We ended up having, um, you know, a really great last year, despite everything. But so that was a change. But then he died. And then, of course, that was another big change. And um, I always knew that I would have to write about this. I'd already been writing a blog. Both of us had written a blog during that last year. And my um, the, the audience I was working with at that time were small business owners and holistic um, coaches, that sort of thing. And uh, I... So I knew I would have to write a book. I knew that I trusted that I would wake up one morning and it would just come. And actually, that is what happened. Wow. Literally, it was just like in the novels. Um, I woke up and I thought, oh, my goodness, I have to write this now. And I laid out a plan and then I got ill, so I couldn't do any more. And then I carried on and it all poured out in a, in a period of about six weeks. And that was my first book, Gifted by Grief. And I say that because this book was meant to be, I thought the result of it would be, well, maybe I'll get a few counselling clients who are dealing with bereavement. That did happen. But also what happened was that readers responded to a chapter in that book. um, And in the week when maybe 10 people had said to me the same thing, I need to answer these questions too, I paid attention. Now, the questions they were talking about are the questions that I 
And my husband answered, it turned out it was about a few months before he died. We knew that it was happening. We knew it was going to be a matter of months. And a friend had sent us an email saying, you need to get him to answer these questions. Things like, what are your passwords? What kind of coffin do you want? How do you want your body dressed? So really practical, but pretty hard hitting questions, yeah. especially when you know you're going to be dying, you know. So we put it off and we had to get three emails. She sent us three emails, the same one each time. And eventually I said, OK, we really have to do this because we have to get her off our back. <laughs> but you know what, Gregory, it was we had such um, a surprise because it was actually an enjoyable process. <laughs> I, I, I still when I say that, I'm like shocked really because you don't expect that the topic was his end of life but it was like us doing a project together and we've been good at doing projects so so that's what I wrote about and that's what people responded to and when you know I got all these nudges in one the space of one week I'm, I'm like okay life's knocking at the door here Jane you better pay attention so I put on a workshop a local workshop and um, this is before the pandemic so it was easy to do and um you know, we had 12 people roll up and another 12 on the waiting list. And that was like, I live in a very small place, so this was unusual. <laughs> and that's really how Before I Go Solutions get, began. It took another year for me to actually incorporate it as a proper social enterprise, which is like a not-for-profit. But um, yeah, that's how we began. And that was five years ago now. Is that five years ago? Yeah. <laughs> so gifted by grief in truth, really. I mean, aside from all the other gifts you got, I know you talk about that in your book, but this um, shift in the direction you were going in is yeah. not only satisfying for you, but the you know hundreds of people that you work with. Well, you know what? In the early days, especially in the early years, the wonderful thing was that I got to talk about Philip a lot and it was completely legitimate. It was really nice and, and nothing that I, I hadn't imagined that would happen. But of course, I had to talk about it because I, 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 I was telling my story and it was really lovely. He had been a psychotherapist and his um, mission in life was to help other people and to make a difference. And it felt like he was still making a difference through me. And that was really, really good. Yeah, I'll bet. And did, so I'm wondering if that was it hard to speak about him or was it a joyous, like a, a healing thing for you to speak about him? It was uh, it was all of those actually on different occasions. Um, but I'm I'm not one. I don't mind if tears come to my eyes or even if they're flooding down my cheeks. You know, I can speak through it. Um, and I just think it's really important that people understand the impact that grief has, and and of course from before I go solutions, how we can help people who are grieving because that's what happens when you're taking care of somebody who's died. You're in grief. There's a lot of stuff to be done. And if people can be helped to do that beforehand, to repair, pave the way, if you like, for something that is inevitable, then I, I feel strongly about making that easy for them. Mm -hmm. So you were, you had a deadline of sorts, not a hard stop, but you knew that this was coming in a matter yeah. of weeks, months. Yeah. Most of us will not have that. No. Many of us, I should say. What... Speak to the incentive for us to have these kinds of conversations now while we're capable yeah. and not grieving and healthy. Well, to be honest, most of the people that we work with who actually do do their end of life plans, who want to come and do the courses or take the products, whatever it is, are people who have been brushed by death in one way or another. 
So they've had they've seen the effect either of somebody who has died and left behind a very well organized estate, which I have to say is few and far between, but it is it does happen. And then you realize, oh my goodness, especially if you're the executor of that person, then you realize how important it is. Much more common though is are people who um have witnessed the devastation that occurs when somebody dies, maybe unexpectedly or without any plan in place, um, even if it is expected, and that is still common. And the amount of sheer solid administrative work that has to happen, the amount of saying to the various different organisations, he's died or she's died over and over and over again. It's really hard when, you know, you only have to mention their name and you feel like crying. So... When that can be made easier, it's it's a real gift. But I tell you, it is a selfless gift because, you know, you're going to be dead. You're not going to be around to receive uh, their appreciation. <laughs> Although I must say there is a great deal of relief and reassurance that comes in a family when everybody knows that, you know, this element has been taken care of. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, too, as people get older, I'm thinking of my aunt who's 90 and doesn't live nearby uh, in another country. And she she's sharp in some ways but as it gets closer to her she wants to stay independent she has the place picked out that she wants to go to but her conversations are not as let's just say they've changed they shift over time where she was ready she knew exactly what was going to happen she had the people that were going to sell her furniture now she's thinking well maybe i'll put things in storage when i go to that place and we're kind of going what right so all i'm saying is i guess we should have had things in writing perhaps Mm -hmm. from her, but that's also, you know, all right, we want you to write up this thing and we're going to sign it. Like it it just Mm -hmm. feels intrusive. It is. Yeah. It's hard. And I think that's why it's so important that we are able to talk easily about death. Right. I would say right from when the children are small. So that it's a normal part of everyday conversation. Well, you probably not talk about it every day, but you know, (laughs) regularly it's just like, anything else i mean if we look outside into nature we see life and death happening all the time with plants and animals and everything especially if you live amongst um other animals you know you're gonna that's just something that happens but um but most of us don't do that of course so we don't see that and it's easy to forget that Mm -hmm. it's a normal part of life you can't have life without death that they are interwoven you know So I'm on a mission to help people be able to talk about it in a more easy way, well before the time, well before it's really needed. So you don't have to get over that hurdle as well. Mm -hmm. And so you have workshops and different kinds of end of life planning cards. You have ways that people can learn about this. But I'm thinking, let's talk a little bit more about what's unexpected that might come up for a person. Let's just say I, for instance, the woman, as you said, mostly it's the women who are ready to start planning when we get, you know, yeah. um, what, what am I to expect that I wouldn't think of, of, you know, considering when I start answering these questions or, or trying to have a conversation with my spouse about what kind of coffin, well, he wants to be cremated, but you know, all those little details, yeah. what, how, help us prepare. Okay. So, um, particularly with, uh, as if you're in, I've I've often heard it that the 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 wife, the woman in a uh, partnership is the one who really wants to do this sort of thing, and that the man doesn't want to do it. So what do you do? This is not unusual. Um, so first of all, 
um, I, I think one of the most creative ways that I heard of uh, somebody coming up with this was uh, somebody on one of our courses say, she, this is her exact situation. And it was really important they talk because they were a blended family, but her husband just wouldn't talk about it. So she came back one day and she said, one, one week, and she said, um, I, uh, I told him that I'd been given an exercise to do. This was true. Um, and would he please listen to me just for 10 minutes? And that would mean that I could tick off my box for my homework. <laughs> so he was willing to do that. What he didn't realise, I think, was what he got into because it ended up with them having an hour and a half conversation, which was incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. So the one of the things that's important there, I talk about the three C's for a, a good end of life conversation. And one of them is you have to have courage because when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't want to do it, you have to, it is it is a courageous thing. And when you're wanting to talk to someone who you maybe haven't mentioned it to at all, you certainly have to have some courage. <laughs> but you really need a context. So I described the context there as, uh, you know, I was I was listening, I was um, on this course, but actually any of your listeners could be saying to somebody, I heard this really unusual podcast the other day. And do you know what she was talking about? She was talking about blah, 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 whatever it is that has struck you. And that leads you in because there's the context. And it could be something as simple as it made me start thinking about what I wanted for my funeral or what I want to have happen to my body when I die. And it's amazing, you know, how many people discover, especially in partnerships, that one of them wants to be buried, one of them wants to be cremated, maybe something else. Um, And the other other thing that I always emphasise is keeping it... I wouldn't say lighthearted because, you know, it's difficult to be lighthearted about this particular subject, but you can be light about it. You have to be, you have to watch a bit with humour, you know, because not everybody's sense of black humour is the same. <laughs> but, but you can be light about it. Um, and so, uh, so that's one thing that I would suggest in that kind of situation. But, you know, there's another unexpected thing that people never think about this. It's if you've got secrets in your life, whatever they may be, if you think that they might come out after you've died, please take care of them beforehand. Mm. Because it can either be something um, horrible that is going to affect that person and you're not going to be around to answer any questions or explain anything. But also, you know, maybe you've left somebody something wonderful in your will, but you haven't told them. That's a nice kind of secret, you would think, but you deprive that person from expressing their gratitude. So mm-hmm. it's really something to come at very consciously. Um, and, you know, you might not think of these things as secrets. It might just be things that you only you know mm-hmm. that might be helpful for, for somebody else. So I hope that's useful. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have, um, do you talk about health proxies as well as a will and all those little yeah. initial details? Yeah. Yeah, there's six different areas of a good end of life plan and the legals in the legals, there's the will or the trust, um, depending on what you want. And also the proxies or the um, what we would call them here in the UK is powers of attorney um, for both healthcare and finances. So now those are going to be different, slightly different in, the, in each state or each country. But what we do and our facilitators do, because I'm training people now to be end of life plan facilitators, they uh, will help people in that area in that in that jurisdiction if you like to um go through the forms that are needed to get the right information in place 
So you don't have to go to a lawyer to do it, which you know, can cost quite a bit yeah, of money. Mm-hmm. In many places, you don't have to do that. You, If you want to do it yourself, you can. It's easier with somebody else helping you, of course. And some people aren't phased at all by legal language, and so they can do it, and that's mm-hmm. fine. But yeah. but yeah. many of us are and get nervous, you know, they're going to do something wrong with a, a legal document. So there's a few choices there, but yeah, we do cover that. It's really important as well, because if you can't, speak for yourself or you can't look after your finances in the future you need to have somebody that you trust who will do that and if you haven't got that in place already then everything has to go through the courts and that takes a lot longer and costs a lot more money and it's a lot more hassle for those people who are looking after you Mm -hmm. my husband had a knee replacement last year and the hospital in our state hospital system uh, required us to have a medical proxy or whatever they call it or they yeah. were going to provide us with one. So that was wow. an impetus to go get yes. one because theirs was very boilerplate, you know, and it didn't have any, um, it, it didn't go into specifics. It was just basically like, we'll take care of you until the end, no matter what, and do everything for you. But of course, many people don't want that. Yeah. And just like the questions you said that when you and your husband got to them, you had an hour and a half conversation. When he and I had to answer all the questions about how long do, we, do you want to be fed? Should we take you off this? It was, it was more bringing us closer than I thought. I didn't think yeah. it wouldn't bring us closer, but I did not yeah. expect the level of intimacy that those I kinds know. of questions bring. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, it really Quite is. Quite amazing. I've heard that from so many couples now. It's like, you really don't expect it, but there's something about embracing the fragility of life while acknowledging that here we are, you know, strong and full-bodied or whatever, that, um, that, I don't know what it is, but it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. So I encourage people to try this. <laughs> yeah. And you you hit upon something before while you're able, because the questions, it wasn't as if Mark and I went through the questions and we bam, 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 answered them. And I did, I was asking him for him first, but questions like, do you want a feeding tube? How long do you want? What kind of interventions do you want? Those, that takes thought if you've never yeah. thought about it before. Because I think in our mind, none of us want to die in a hospital. We don't want to die at home. Nice, nice. But the reality is some of us will be in the hospital. And if we don't want every modern medicine's genius thing happening to us, then we have to be willing to say, no, I don't want the feeding tube. And that's us talking about our own mortality in a very real way. However, like you said, it's better to do it ahead of time because in the moment, if they don't have any indirect any directions, they're going to do what they're best at doing yeah. to save lives, and that can exactly. be very intrusive for you, the patient, and the family as well. Exactly, exactly. I'll give you a little tip about this because nobody wants to project into the future and imagine themselves in this kind of situation because it's horrible to think about. But if you imagine, if you think to yourself, if this had happened to me yesterday, what would I want? That makes it easier to venture into that arena. Um, especially if you're completely healthy now and have no reason to believe that anything's going to happen to you Mm -hmm. soon. But it's easier to imagine, it's easier to answer those questions, if you like, if if you imagine it, oh, it's already happened, so what would I want, given who I am right now? Hmm. I think that's important too, given who I am right now. We don't know who will be at the end. We may, you know, lose cognition. We may be happier, sadder. Yeah. more in touch with the people we love less in touch who knows so yeah. but that's and that's you know 
as a coach, you know this, the moment is now, right? Everything is in the now. So if we decide in the now how we want to feel, if in five or 10 years, we feel like something's shifting, maybe we want to change those documents. Exactly. But to have something in place now is much exactly. more important than having nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why we encourage people to uh, review their all their end of life stuff Um I say once a year in your birthday week, not on your birthday, you probably don't want to do it on your birthday, but in your birthday week is an easy way to remember it. Mm -hmm. um, and do people do it? They probably don't. But, you know, if we say every year, then maybe they'll do it every two or three years. You never know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so many things. I interviewed a financial planner not too long ago. He works specifically with women over 50. And he said, the interesting thing to me is that when I, the first thing we do is we assess where we are. What do you have in the bank? What do you owe? He said, it's astonishing to him that most people don't know what they spend. Mm. They kind of know what they have. Mm. They may know what their mortgage is, right? But it's the same thing. And then he says, once we have all of that data, we can make a plan. And he, in the same way, encourages them to look at their plan at least once a year. Excuse me, once a year. Because all kinds of things. We're going through a crazy economic turmoil right now. Yeah. Every country on the globe, I think, is suffering through it. So we don't know what's going to happen. But those things also affect our yeah. planning for the future with our finances, maybe it will even affect our planning for our, our physical well-being. Yeah. Do we want to go into a care home? Do we not? Against all odds, do we want to, Do you include those kinds of things? In yeah, yeah, we do. And that's why, you know, sometimes for some people, it's easier to think things through with somebody else, um, like one of our facilitators or something, because rather than a family member, because sometimes with a family member, it can feel just a little bit raw and close to the bone. Mm. So if you can get your own thoughts relatively clear and then have a conversation, because, you know, you can't really make a really good end of life plan for yourself without involving somebody else, at least one other person. Um, and it might, even if you don't have a family, it might be a friend, you know, because there has to be somebody involved, um, which also highlights another um, aspect. There are more and more um, people who are living on their own and who don't have family. So if that's the case, who do you appoint as an executor of your will? Who do you appoint as a power of attorney? It is a big question. And there's another one as well, which is, well, who's going to look after you when you're older and maybe you can't look after yourself again is a horrible thing to think about but it's happening more and more and if you're in if you're of an age where you're in that situation and you're projecting forward there's lots of things that you can do about it uh, right now to help manage that situation should you be in that I write about it in my second book is Before I Go, The Essential Guide to Creating a Good End-of-Life Plan. And there's a chapter in there that prompts you with things to think about um, well ahead of time that will help further on down the line, you know, in, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it is. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't know how long we have. No. Everybody's living longer. Yeah. Things will be different in probably 10 or 20 years in care homes, over 50 yeah. communities. All those things will be better, I hope, yeah. than what I've heard. Um, and I think when you said that if you, many people are living alone, that seems to me like the most precarious place to be and yet the least uh, drawn towards planning yes. for what's going to happen because it probably feels pretty hopeless. Yeah. What do I do? I can't afford the best care. Where do I go? You know, but still, 
But you can get together. What you can do is you can get together with other like-minded people in a similar situation and you can support each other. That's one of the things. So that's not uncommon for me to hear this, that um, people would uh, buddy up, if you like, with somebody else and be each other's power of attorney or or executor or uh, 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 proxy or whatever it is, um, and to support each other in going through this process. And, you know, we've talked about the intimate, the level of intimacy that occurred when you have a conversation like this. It happens with friends too. Yeah. You know, it's like we really are dealing with the nuts and bolts here of being alive in a body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're dead, there's a body that's going to be left over. It's got to be dealt with by somebody. <laughs> I'm sorry to be so blunt. No, but I think we really need to do that. I, we need I, to be I blunt you about put it. it perfectly. That's fine. <laughs> blunt, we like blunt here. There was a, uh, an art, an interview today with, I don't know whether you're familiar with Ms. Magazine. No. It was a big thing over here. Uh, it started, I think, maybe 50 years ago. And they interviewed the original founders, if they were still around, or people that had written for them. And it was all about women's liberation, feminism. What did that mean? But the takeaway pertinent to this conversation is one of the women said, uh, young women that she speaks to now say, how did you do it all? How did you have kids and you know still work and manage a relationship? And she said, we always made sure we had buddies, just as you said, but not one. She said, we figured it took seven to 10 people to have our backs. Who needs childcare? Who needs a ride to the doctor? And then I was thinking it's just like what happens with elderly people. Who's going to take them for their shots or their medication pickup? So, but I thought that was a really, um, it it translates all across any any age of life could use a tribe, a village, as Hillary Clinton to say. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're getting older, if you feel like you're coming towards the later stages of your life, which is, by the way, anything over about 55, (laughs) then you can start. And you don't if you don't have friends, if you're in this situation, you don't have friends who are younger, then you it's a good idea to cultivate younger friends. I know that sounds like a pretty practical, pragmatic reason to do it. But, you know, you'll get loads of other benefits and so will they, of course. Uh, But um, but. But it's sensible. It's just really sensible. Mm-hmm. My aunt, where she lives, has a neighborhood that has, it's an expat community. She lives in Mexico. So mm-hmm. lots of English-speaking people near her. And her best friends are in their 70s. One woman is in her 80s. But they all have levels of contribution. Who's going to mm-hmm. go to the store for somebody? Who's driving everybody to get their COVID boosters? And it just seems like it's just a natural, that's the way they all are. They get together for dinner parties. And the ages, there are even younger people that come, but younger meaning like 60, 65. So you don't even have to think about finding a 30-something, although that would be wonderful. Um, You can just find people that are... uh, Yeah, it only needs to be exactly a decade younger. It makes a huge Mm -hmm. difference. It really does. And, uh, you know, well, that's another thing about aging, mind you. I've noticed now I'm 64 now and I'm like... I don't feel any different from when I was like 34, except, you know, there's a few things that don't work quite so well in the body. But I behave like this with, you know, I have one or two younger friends, you know, and of course they're probably 45 now, but I think of them as 30. (laughs) It's like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was like this for our, my, my mom's generation, but it's certainly like it now. Yeah, I wonder about that. I, my mom died when she was 49. I was 20. So I don't have her sister. My aunt is, they were very different, but I have her at least to, sure. to reflect what that generation 
um, would be like. And um, I, my, my aunt has tried to stay relevant and, you know, fashionable and all these things, but that's not the same as staying youthful. No. She's, she's healthy. God love her. She's really on no medications and, you know, has a bad back. So in that regard, um, she's fortunate, but I don't know what, I know that my mom and she were both, you know, feminists. They worked and they had lives outside of whatever their relationships were. But it's, I wonder, like you said, did they feel, well, my mom wouldn't have, but did my aunt feel 40 when she was 60? She does say that she felt really good until like 85. She said this 85 to 90 path has been pretty arduous for her physically. But right. other than that, she's, she mentally doesn't feel different, except that she forgets more, which pisses her off yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So, hold on one second. I will edit this out. My chair has... Okay. I'm just like sliding down going, what the heck is happening? Okay. So, what else should we know before we close this interview? What, what do you want to leave us with, Jane? I would like to encourage people to visit beforeigoquiz.com. Now, the before I go quiz.com is entitled, the quiz is actually how you discovering how prepared you are. It's just 10 questions, yes or no, take you 30 seconds, if that, and it's going to give you a really quick idea of how well prepared you are already with a selection of some of the questions that we have from our workshops and our workbook. Um, it's really important because what I've learned with this work is that you need to plant seeds and then keep them watered. So if you don't know anything, this is like not knowing your state of your finances, just do the quiz. You, you can um, sign up to get more information if you want or not, it doesn't matter. Um, but at least you will know where you are. And that's an important thing to do. But I would say that if you haven't got a will, that is very, very important to get a will. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Uh, definitely a good idea. Reach out to us here at beforeigosolutions.com if you're unsure about anything because we can help you. That's great. My short story, my grandfather was a judge and when he retired, he went to be a counsel at a law firm. His specialty was wills and estates. Do you think he died with a will? No. Oh my testing. His entire, all of his things, he, he left quite a lot and oh. it took about, I want to say two years 18 months, two years for them. He had a will, but I guess there was some sort of stipulation in it that it would be updated at certain points after his wife died. And he never did. So basically it was held up for a long time. So, and luckily because he was a legal person, he had people that were legal in his corner and an executor who took care of everything. But um, yeah, don't do that. No, don't do that. <laughs> Even if you feel like you don't have a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. true? Even Yes, it's true. Even if you don't feel like you have a lot, because it's so much more difficult for somebody to take care of everything if that legal documentation is not in place, even if you think that you've got hardly anything. So I really would encourage that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm quite shocked about that story because I was too. Position. I was too. But it's not unusual. And actually, you know, in our training course, what, the thing that I insist on is that everybody does their own end of life plan first, which is what I had to do as well when I started doing this work. Mm. Still took me quite a long time, but I did get it done. I just thought, how can I tell other people about doing this if I haven't done mine? That doesn't feel right at all. Good on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, you said something earlier in the conversation about that made me think of what, how do you want to be celebrated or vetted or not vetted, yeah. fetted? Yeah. Once you're gone, some people just 
they don't really think about that. They don't want anything. Uh, when my mom died, we had a party and yeah. pictures all over the room of her in her life and all of her friends came and it was lovely. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's important too, because that's the celebratory part for yeah. us about ourselves, right? This kind of music yeah. would make me feel good or exactly. now we won't be there to enjoy it, but we'll know that we left something in place. So for others aren't going, what do I do? Would she have wanted this? Or, you know? Yeah, I know. And, and that's the kind of thing that brings incredible solace. It happened for me after my mom and dad died, which was a few years ago now, and they had completed their workbooks. They were really good students of mine, which was wonderful. So I was the executor. I just had to go and have a look, and I knew exactly what they wanted. They had chosen the um, venue, and they had earmarked the, the kind of um, menu that they wanted oh, they I love as well. I know. You know, but they ended up being, we had a cremation, and we all came back to this hotel, and it ended up being the kind of party that they would have loved. Mm-hmm. We could, I could imagine that they were there. They were there on the screen, mm-hmm. not actually in person, of course, but it felt like they were there in spirit and it really was lovely. They would have definitely liked it, oh, I know. I and that's that very heartwarming at a time when you're, you know, you're missing them. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a lovely note to end on. Okay. So Jane, end of life, sorry, before I go, dot com, right? Is your website. Before, so, before, oh, I, before I go, solutions. Solutions.com. Yeah. And I, I noticed that your books are in, and your programs are in uh, Sterling, British Pound Sterling. Do you, can people get your book on Amazon? Yes, the books are on, on Amazon. And if you want to come, if you go to the website to buy anything, the cards, you can only get through the website, the workbook then uh, it just translates into uh, dollars. So you you don't have to worry about that. Okay, perfect. I'm sure that there will be lots of people here that are anxious to get started because as you said, you plant a seed and you have to water it. We've planted seeds today for people. Yeah, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. People uh, will be back next week with another great episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Be well till next time. Before you go, peeps, I was just wondering if we are connected on social media. If not, let's do that. You can find me on Instagram at RebelWell50. Same on Twitter. Facebook, it's Rebellious Wellness Over 50. And hey, don't be a stranger. Comment. Let me know what you'd like to hear about on the podcast or what questions you have about aging better and living rebelliously. <laughs>